everybody. Welcome back to the podcast daily for Tuesday, December 20th. This is Bill Landis. Today we have for you a conversation with Seth Emerson of The Athletics. Seth is a beat writer covering the Georgia Bulldogs. We thought it'd be good to have him on to give an overview of Ohio State's opponent for the college football playoff semifinal at the Peach Bowl on December 31st. So enjoy this conversation with myself and Seth. And thanks so much as always for listening. Pleased to welcome to the podcast, Seth Emerson. He covers the Georgia Bulldogs for the athletic former colleague of mine. Seth, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Bill. Appreciate you joining us to give us a little bit of uh, insight on on the Bulldogs. I, w- I want to start with this, though. So we, we've been talking a lot about this game, actually, but I, I'm not actually all that certain about the Georgia sort of perspective on on mm-hmm. Ohio State or like what what fans uh, there think think of this matchup. So when when that came out that Georgia was going to be playing Ohio State down in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl, what, what was the reaction there in, in your neck of the woods? Well, they much rather would have had TCU. <laughs> uh, I mean, and honestly, if you ask them between Ohio State and Michigan, they may have said Michigan. Uh, I don't know. That might have been like 60-40 in favor of they'd rather have played Michigan. Some of that may be based on the last time Georgia played Michigan. Mm-hmm. It was not close. But the perception is that Ohio – all right, game recognizes game, right? Who are the three best recruiting programs in the country right now? Mm-hmm. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, year in and year out. So Georgia fans see that and they say, oh, Ohio State, yeah, they they can hang with us. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if they fear Ohio State. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but um, they definitely, I think, respect them. Is, is any part of that? That, you know, the last time Georgia was on the field in the SEC championship, they gave up a fair amount of passing yards. That was like a weird Ohio yeah. State fans are pointing towards that. It's like, oh, LSU threw 500 yards. Like, well, LSU was trailing by 30 for, for yeah. a large chunk of that. 10 game. So points like, at the half. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they did throw for it was like 150 or something in the first quarter. That was mostly kind of short passes, um, almost nothing in the second quarter. And it's 35-10 at the half. And then the second half, Nussmeyer, the backup, goes in there. And yeah, I, I think Georgia players were at that point already planning their celebration. Yeah. Um, LSU was playing a nothing to lose kind of attitude. But I mean, look, in, in today's college football, Tennessee didn't on Georgia, but mm. anybody can pass on anybody if you can pass the ball well enough. And I think Ohio State can. And it, kind of comes back down to whether they can run the ball at all. Um, I have seen, I have seen teams pass on Georgia. Okay. That happens. Tennessee didn't, but other teams have, I've seen nobody run on Georgia. So that that's kind of for your listeners, people who aren't as familiar with Georgia on a game by game basis. That's kind of the perspective over the last four years on Georgia. Yeah, well, you look at the numbers and you see that I think three of their opponents have only rushed for 100 yards against them. And um, I think only one had more than four yards of carry, and it was Oregon in the opener. So it seems like it's pretty difficult to run the ball. Yeah, yeah, teams have been playing from behind, so it's hard to look at like total rushing yards. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the yards per carry. And just I can tell you by feel, there have been like drives, maybe quarters here and there where teams have been able to, to run the ball in Georgia. But I can't cannot honestly remember a game in the last four years. You may have to go back to the SEC championship 2019 when LSU had Burrow, but also Clyde Edwards Hilaire. 
um, where I remember a team running the ball well on Georgia. Uh, I, I do want to f- narrow in on, on some parts of, of what makes Georgia good, but but to take a step back quickly, because Ryan Day made a mention of this when the announcement first got um, revealed or the, the matchup first got announced. And, and I think it's something that maybe a lot of college football you know, viewers take for granted the fact that Georgia won the national championship and then came back and won every game again this year. That's really hard to do. Um, Ohio State fans, I think, have some familiarity with that with their 2014 national championship team. They came back in 2015 and they just they just didn't look right for much much of that year. They ended up only dropping one game, but it's things just kind of felt off and you couldn't really be confident that they were going to get back to that stage to try to repeat. And, and ultimately, they couldn't get there. So Georgia has gotten there. Um at, at any point in this year, were you uncertain that they could or would get back to this point to defend their national title? Uh, I, I think this whole being 13-0 and and something they weren't last year, by the way. At this point, they were 12-1 and coming off the SEC championship loss. This whole thing has snuck up probably on a lot of people. Georgia had gone famously 41 years without winning a national championship. And so around here, the euphoria over that carried into the season. And it's only recently, like I was driving around yesterday, I saw a sign on a gas station says, go dogs, run it back. You're only now seeing people like saying the whole run it back thing. You know, that hasn't been a season long, year long kind of thing. People are still basking in the afterglow of the national title. And they're just now kind of waking up and going, Oh, it could happen again. The, the Oregon game as the opener was a really kind of eye-raising, eye-opening. I was going to say eyebrow-raising or eye-opening. I, can't, I ended up combining them. Sorry about that. It, it was kind of an eye-opening way to start the year because you were kind of like, you know, we, we think they're going to be good on offense, but how good uh, – how we think they'll eventually be good on defense, but how long is that going to take? And for them to come out and win 49-3, it made a lot of people go, oh. And then they carried that into the next couple games. Then they kind of slacked off a little bit against Kent State, struggled against Missouri, but won. Uh, Next week, they they beat Auburn 42-10. But if a 42-10 win can be, like, you know, not as impressive, that one Mm -hmm. was. And so they're going into this stretch then where they, they play Florida and then Tennessee, which at that point was everybody's darling. Um, and then at Mississippi State and at Kentucky. And going into that stretch, the way they had looked for the past few games, you said, decent chance they lose one of the next ones. Now, losing one of those wasn't going to hurt their national championship hopes unless it was to Tennessee. And it would have been like same situation Ohio State ended up with, which was, can you make the playoff with one loss, not playing in your championship game? Um, but they they got through that stretch, not only unscathed, but they looked pretty impressive uh, doing it. So once they, honestly, once they got through Tennessee the way they did, you then expected them to beat Mississippi State and Kentucky. Um, and it, it's kind of at that point been about what the playoff's going to look like. Mm-hmm. The the couple of games you mentioned there, the, the Kent State, the Missouri, and even the Kentucky game was was close. Um, are, are there anything in those three games that are 
concerns now in in, in the postseason, like th- things that might have been magnified in that game that could be potential issues for Georgia? Or was that just a case of a really good team sometimes doesn't bring its A game to the table and the game's closer than it should be? Yeah, there's little thing. The Missouri game was the only one that was ever like legitimately in doubt. Um, that score was, I want to say, 13-3 to when um, it looked like Missouri was about to get a touchdown, long touchdown downfield, and Malachi Starks, freshman safety, ran him down at the one, um, and they held him to a field goal. So that play potentially saved Georgia's unbeaten season. That was a game where Missouri really attacked well. Stetson Bennett was under a lot of pressure, but they came out in the fourth quarter and basically had their way with Missouri and were able to come back off of that. Um, Kentucky game, Georgia had some short yardage problems, including a they went for it on fourth and goal from the one and didn't mm-hmm. get it. Um, if not for red zone slash short yardage, that score looks a lot more impressive. And it was cold and windy. That game just kind of, you just kind of, other than the short yardage stuff, you kind of throw it out. Kent State was turnovers. Just Lad McConkey dropped a punt. Lad McConkey dropped a fumbled after he caught a ball. Um, there was another fumble, I think, by a running back. Uh, but Georgia's total yardage, they were still like more than twice them. The only thing you can kind of take out of that is Kent State had some good bubble screens uh, and had some success throwing it to the outside. Maybe Ohio State looks at that and says that's something we're going to try and replicate. But kind of counter to that is that that was game four. Mm-hmm. And so you've now had nine games for opponents to look at that and say, what did they do? And nobody's been able to replicate it, right. but they don't have Ohio state's athletes. Ohio state has certainly thrown a lot of bubble screens this year. I think uh, yeah. much to the ire of, of Ohio yeah. state fans who'd rather see them throw the ball down the field. Um, Stetson Bennett, uh, how surprised were you that he was a Heisman trophy finalist? Cause I, I guess the, if you, put the stats side by side, like maybe, maybe it doesn't quite add up, but if you watch him and I've watched a fair amount of him over the last couple days now that like preparing for this matchup, I find him to be a really exciting quarterback. Like, and I, I get it. If you're someone who voted for him because you actually watched him play and just didn't look at the stats or just didn't yeah. say like, he's the best quarterback on the, or he's the quarterback on the best team. I think he had a fairly compelling case to be there. So what, what did you make of that? And then I guess maybe your overview of, of what you think of Stetson as a player. You know, I've I've been covering the Stetson Bennett story for six years now, and the last three years, he's been the source of arguments among Georgia fans, and the um, the blowback to him getting the Heisman invite has had a rallying effect around mm-hmm. him among the Georgia fan base that, like, even winning the national championship didn't accomplish. Um, so the, the Georgia fan base is finally there with Stetson Bennett. Probably a few holdouts like, you know, like Japanese soldiers still fighting World War II uh, in 1945, you know. But um, he's he's a good quarterback. And it, it takes people some time to get used to that. But if you throw, see him out there throwing dimes against LSU, um, if you see him – the, the key play against Tennessee, the first touchdown to, to put Georgia ahead was, I believe it was third down. Georgia was at the 13, and I think they'd been backed up, so it was third and goal. He gets flushed out, and he scrambles basically back to the 25 and then makes a beeline for the right pylon mm-hmm. and reaches out and scores. And he's made plays like that before. He ran for like a 60-something yard touchdown 
against Auburn. Um, yeah, like you said about the stats, the stats can be deceiving because a he basically you know took off a lot of fourth quarters where he, all he was doing was handing the ball off or just you know reading a newspaper on the sideline. <laughs> um, he he had a an inordinate amount of touchdown passes, would be touchdown passes, stopped at like the one or two yard line. It was, I counted it up. It was like six or seven of his passes were stopped. The guy was tackled at the one, another two or three at the two or three yard line. Um, So that hurt his touchdown passing numbers. But then you also have to include his rushing production. Um, And he's not like Michael Vick in the sense of that is the key part of Georgia's attack. But he, he is a classic extend the play kind of quarterback. Um, and run as kind of a you know third or fourth resort kind of thing and, and do it with success. And when he does that as a sixth-year senior and he has a better sense of, like, this is when we do it, this is when I shouldn't do it, et cetera, et cetera, it, it makes him very effective. So we we have talked a lot about, and we will probably continue to talk a lot about, the the two tight ends for Georgia, Brock Bowers and, and Darnell Washington. But I, I found myself in, in watching Georgia – pretty taken aback by by the receivers and just you know how how good they were at making plays down the field when when they were called upon maybe things don't mm-hmm. flow through them but they were certain they, they appeared to me anyway to be opportunistic and and certainly impactful when they needed to be um i guess out outside of the tight ends how would you assess this georgia offense in terms of its ability to find other ways to beat you if for whatever reason i don't think anyone's done it you can find a way to neutralize brock bowers and darnell washington well, I think the tight ends deservedly get most of the attention because it's unique. Like, who mm-hmm. who does this? I know Iowa a few years ago had two, three tight ends that were, you know, a focal point of the offense and did an inordinate amount. But we've never seen here at Georgia and the SEC really. Florida, when they had Kyle Pitts and a couple other guys, had a few games like that. But um, it, Brock Bowers is kind of the smaller, shiftier. Uh, he uses a speed. Darnell Washington is the six foot seven, two hundred eighty pound, basically sixth left or sixth offensive lineman who mm-hmm. can catch passes. But yeah, they don't monopolize them every game. It's it, th- there have been a lot of games. It's been the wide receivers. There's been a lot of games. It's been the running backs. Um, Kenny McIntosh is someone who very quietly has put up more receiving numbers this year than James Cook did last year and James Cook's in the NFL now. And a big reason for that was because of his receiving ability. Uh, McIntosh can run the ball. Kendall Milton, that may be a name, two, two names for Ohio State people who may not follow Georgia too closely, but to keep an eye on for the Peach Bowl. Kendall Milton's one of them. Um, he, coming into the year, he and Kenny McIntosh were supposed to be 1A, 1B tailbacks. McIntosh has been hurt a lot. Uh, Milton has been hurt a lot, but he's getting back and he started to to explode a little bit in the SEC championship and another few weeks off could potentially make him more of a weapon. Other name is A.D. Mitchell. Um, if you remember the national championship last year, he caught the 45 yarder mm-hmm. to put Georgia ahead for good. And he coming into this year, George Pickens said that A.D. Mitchell was going to be his heir apparent as Georgia's top receiver and basically next great receiver. Well, Pickens couldn't stay healthy. Mitchell didn't stay healthy this year. He had a high ankle sprain, like the first drive of the second game after having a big week against Oregon. Um, and 
basically just kept trying to return but couldn't. He finally played a substantial amount of snaps in the SEC championship, didn't catch a pass, but he did throw for a two-point conversion to make it 50. Another few weeks with him having time to heal, he could also be targeted a little more uh, in the Peach Bowl. Then you've got Lad McConkey, who you know he's banged up with the knee injury, but it sounds like he'll be able to go. Uh, you've got a guy named Arian Smith. Ohio State coaches probably know this, so Georgia fans can't get mad at me for saying it. But if you see number 11 lined up, <laughs> look for him to be going deep because that's what <laughs> happens. He's averaging – he has like five catches in his career, but the average is about 50 yards for those five catches. Um, and then they've got a few other guys, Dominic Blaylock, Harris Jackson. They've got a lot of guys that are nice, good receivers, um, and they're able to shuffle them in and out. And when you've got a good quarterback uh, to make decisions on where to throw them all, and when you've got two tight ends who often pull a safety away, you get receivers yeah. who get single coverage. So last year, the much of the story felt like Georgia's historically good, one of the best we've ever seen defenses. Um how close is this defense to being as good as that one was last year? I mean, I don't think you can say they're quite as good. They've had, I'm looking at the stats here. Um, you know, they allowed 12.8 points per game. I think last year's defense allowed 10. Um, and if they can somehow bring that number down while playing Ohio state <laughs> and then potentially Michigan, that would be an accomplishment. Um, but they've been kind of like the offense. They've 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 been shut down when they needed to be. I mean the 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 Tennessee game. I know that Ohio State and Tennessee play a different kind of offense. I know Ohio State has better players than Tennessee, but it's the most comparable in terms of you're playing a team that has a high powered offense and a defense that is is better maybe than people think right. it is. And Georgia won that game. 27-13 doesn't indicate what the score was. The The lone touchdown came in the fourth quarter uh, for Tennessee, and it was like 24-6, to six, I think, at the half, and then rain hit. Um, Georgia dominated on both sides for most of that game, and they stopped Tennessee's offense in a way that nobody expected them, even me, expecting them to stop them. They held Oregon to three points. Um, LSU – like we said, 10 points in the first half, and then the second half was kind of, you know, whatever. Um, now, doing that again against Ohio State's defense, I, I do find myself going into that game saying kind of the same things that I was saying going into the Tennessee game, mm -hmm. which was Ohio State, nay, Tennessee, is going to score points. It's a matter of how much Georgia's offense can hold its end of, of the deal. Uh, but going into that Tennessee game, I ended up being wrong. Like right. Tennessee scored some points, but nobody figured it would be 13. You, you figured if it was 24, that would be, or less, that would be a win. Um, so th this defense, that's a long-winded way, I'm sorry, of saying this defense has surprised me all year. Um, how do they, I, I guess, like how many different ways do they try to use Jalen Carter? He's, I mean, he's a all-world kind of player. I suppose you could just like stick him in the A-gap and let him wreak havoc all day if you wanted to, yeah. but did they do more more than that with him? They move him around. Uh, Jordan Davis last year was a pure nose tackle. Uh, now he played with Jalen Carter, so mm -hmm. Carter was not a nose tackle last year. They they move him. Sometimes he will be over the center, but more often he's 
lined up like a traditional defensive tackle, sometimes even a defensive end. Um, he was early in the season playing more just on third downs because of an ankle injury than he had the MCL injury, missed a couple games. But since he came back, he's had a lot of snaps, and those are mostly kind of on the outside. They, they, they try to – and I don't know how many teams Ohio State plays do this, but you'll see the Georgia line like mass rotate before the snap. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and they do that, like maybe it's to the right, maybe it's to the left. They do it basically to screw with the offense. And some of that is to get Jalen Carter where he could do the most damage. Although sometimes it's strategic, to they'll move Jalen Carter where he'll get two blockers because that'll open it up for somebody else. Is there, a, when you look at the defense, like I said, be my last question for you, because you've, you've watched them play all year. You said they've exceeded your expectations. Is there a vulnerability? Is there is there an area that you've seen this year where you think to yourself like, eh, if they play the right team, this could be an issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not going to totally dismiss what happened in the second half against LSU. Like, those were Georgia starters in the game that were mm-hmm. getting passed on. I just think at that point they were kind of playing sluggish because yeah. of the lead. Um, they played great when they needed to against Tennessee, but uh, Florida got a big pass off of them. Um, it It's kind of like with the whole team. There isn't one area where you say, this is this team's Achilles heel, and I can't believe nobody has exploited enough to win a game. That's like, to, to give you an idea, Bill, of how things have gone this year, coming out of the Missouri game near a loss, I'm talking to people about the offensive line and what they can do to improve there. And, you know, people I respect in the business are telling me, you know, those guards, they just aren't good. You know, they've got a scheme around this offensive line. And they're a finalist for the Joe Moore Trophy (laughs) eight weeks later. So they're they're, But the thing is, you you keep wondering with Georgia, is are all the flaws going to catch up to them at some point? Like, are are, are enough of them all going to happen in the same game? Because they haven't yet. Like the Missouri game was the closest they came to it, but they, they got there in the fourth quarter. One thing I would say, and I I found myself writing this when I was writing a response to someone in my mailbag, which is running Friday, I guess that's my plug for myself. (laughs) Nobody except Missouri has taken Georgia to the fourth quarter and Missouri didn't have the depth or the talent to hang with Georgia. Ohio state needs to take Georgia to the fourth quarter. And that means winning enough the first three quarters. And and Georgia has dominated in the fourth quarter. They've outscored opponents 119 to 50, but they've also outscored opponents by similar margins and more in the first three quarters. If Ohio State can get there to the fourth quarter, now that's the trick. Get Mm -hmm. there. Have the game still close. But can you run the ball enough? Can you keep Georgia's defense on the field so that they start to feel the effects? of of being worn down the way Georgia's offense wears down defenses by keeping them on the field you know for for two or three years because other teams can't run against Georgia that defense is fresh right in the fourth quarter can Ohio State find a way and, and I don't think you're going to do it by running up the middle not traditional runs it's going to be running to the outside misdirection those kind of things um and again it's not easy it, it's you can't just flick and say all right Get to the keep it close until the fourth quarter yeah. and see what happens. That's the trick, but that's what you have to figure out a way to do. 
That's interesting because Ohio State, as you know, they had a really good fourth quarter in a close game against Notre Dame, a really good fourth quarter in a close game on the road against Penn State, and a not yeah. very good at all fourth quarter at home against Michigan. So um, we've kind of seen both sides of that coin uh, for, for Ohio State. But uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out against Georgia. Uh, Seth, thanks so much for sharing some of your insight and, and an overview of the Bulldogs. You can find Seth's work at The Athletic. Uh, Seth Emerson, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Bill. Our thanks again to Seth Emerson for joining us here on the podcast. You can find his work at The Athletic. A reminder that Wednesday is National Signing Day for the class of 2023. Myself, Austin Ward, Jeremy Birmingham will be in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center to talk with Ryan Day. Uh, You can look for Snap Judgments following that sometime uh, Wednesday afternoon. And uh, look Wednesday morning for a new version of the daily where we'll discuss some of our thoughts heading into signing day as Ohio State looks to put the finishing touches on its class of 2023. Until then, thanks again for listening.